Praise Jesus. We're so glad that you are here. We have a living hope this morning. Are you thankful for that today? I'm thankful for that today. There's a lot of things this year that maybe we had hope in that might have let us down. And yet we've come here today to be reminded of a thing that never lets us down. Anybody here remember the original Super Nintendo? Raise your hand. Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah, I grew up in the 90s. Super Nintendo was all the rage. I didn't have one, um, but my friend had one. And so uh, conveniently I made him one of my very best friends so I could go to his house a lot and play. And I would go to his house and I'd play Super Nintendo with him. And I remember uh, we would play on the same team and it, we were playing some fighting game all the time. And it was like the two of us against like the simulated system or whatever. And we'd like, you know, try to win the game or whatever. And what was impressive about us was that we, we never lost. We were undefeated. No matter how good the level was we were playing on, we always won. We never, ever lost. Maybe that's not actually the case. What would happen was whenever we were losing, if you remember the Super Nintendo, my friend, who was a very clever guy, would conveniently get up every time we were about to lose or every time we got stuck, and he would walk up to the Super Nintendo, and if you remember, there was this big, beautiful, shiny purple button on the front. And you know what that button said? Reset. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I'm surprised y'all knew this. It said reset on it. Thank you for that. And you might think that that's not right to just reset it every time you're going to lose. But I actually thought he was pretty clever because think about this. Like, why would you lose when you don't have to lose? And the reason why I say that today is because one of the things I felt like God was really showing me this week is, is so often we're fighting the same problems with the same mindsets in the same places and we're stuck and it's frustrating and maybe we feel hopeless or we feel down. And we forget that in the gospel, we have the total reset button every single way and every single day. And I just wanna tell somebody today that you've been fighting the same problem, trying to get a little bit better, 10% better, try to do it a little bit harder, whatever you're trying to do. And, and God wants to remind you today that you can just reset. The Bible says that his mercies are new every single day. That all of your burdens, that all of your problems, all of your situations, your loneliness or your marriage problems or your money problems or uncertainty about the future or that thing that you just keep fighting and fighting and fighting. Today, you can reset. 2020 could have been the craziest year for you and you can reset your mind and your heart today. So church, let's do that today in this place. I love you and I'm glad to be here. You can be seated at this time. I want to preach to you a message today entitled, Jesus Makes You New. Jesus Makes You New. If you have your Bible, grab it out and let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 17 today. And I encourage you, if you have a hard copy of the Bible, maybe a journal or notebook, I, I encourage you to bring that with you to take some notes if God speaks something to you. Also to have the scriptures in your hands or get it out on your, uh, on your phone. I, mean, I just love being actually in the word together. Um, you know, once again, we'll have it on the screen like always. Uh, but I want to encourage you to, to get it out 
Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're going to be. I want to preach you a message today entitled Jesus Makes You New. And one of the things that I'm, I'm really encouraged about in the, the greater church in this generation, at least from my perspective, is one of the things I think the church is doing really well in a lot of ways is we are really more and more so showing the beauty of the gospel of Jesus. I think one of the things the church is doing well is, is really distinguishing the difference between religion and Christianity. The difference between religion, which means that like I try to work hard for God to love me versus God already loves you, just receive his love and then live out of his love. The difference between like trying to earn your salvation or righteousness versus receiving what Christ has done, his finished work on the cross and in the resurrection. I think we're doing a good job of that and reminding people that we don't start by trying to be good people in and of ourselves, but we start with the love of Jesus. I think the church is doing a really good job of that in a lot of ways, and I'm proud of our community here. I think when people come, they, they really do hear the good news of Jesus. I believe that when people come, they really believe that this is good news. It's not just religion. It's not just do more, try harder, be better, right? It really is like God loves me, and he wants to make me new through what he has done. And yet one of the things that I think the church in, in this generation um, can do a better job of and, and what I hope we do do a better job of and, and really clearly communicate, one thing that's often neglected is um, though Christ loves us and has died for us and saves us, that once Jesus saves us, he puts us on a path of a passionate pursuit of holiness. A passionate pursuit of holiness that our lives should be changing as a result of what Jesus did for us on the cross and in the resurrection. That Jesus didn't die for us so that we could stay the same. And, and we live in a time where like nobody wants to change and everybody gets offended if you act like, you know, someone's not good enough or so they should do something different. And yet we as the church should be this radical counterculture. It's like, man, we love changing. <laughs> we love becoming new. Like we know we're not perfect. Like you can come to me and say, John, you need to work on this. And I'm like, you're probably right. That as Christians, we should be optimistic about changing and growing. And we're not afraid of even realizing we have sin in our lives because we know that Jesus has already paid for that and calls us out of that. And so, like, we don't have to be insecure about it because we're already loved and we're already forgiven. And yet I think so often in the church today, the idea of holiness, or, or not even just like, you know, like, okay, what do I have to give up to follow Jesus? But more of a mindset of like, man, like what can I give up to follow Jesus more fully? Not that like, well, I, I, I guess I'll give this thing up in my life if it gets in the way of my faith. It's like, man, if it has any chance in any way of getting in the way of me pursuing Jesus, I will leave it behind. Because the disciples left everything to follow Jesus. And Paul's gonna tell us this in Ephesians chapter four, Starting in verse 17, we're going to read Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. This time, would you stand with me as we read the word of God together? Paul says this, Now I say this and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. The Gentiles are people outside of the church, the, the, the non-believers in this context. That you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way that you learned Christ. 
assuming that, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated at this time. In this passage, Paul says this, and this is the main idea that I want you to take home today. That true faith in Christ makes you totally new. True faith in Christ makes you totally new. In verse 17, let's walk through this verse by verse together. He says, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. And so what he's saying is like, as the church and as the people of God, like you're going to live differently than the people who are not a part of Christianity. That you're going to look out in the world and people are going to be living a certain way and, and you used to live a certain way, but now you follow Jesus and so your life is going to be different. And so as Christians, we should expect that we're no longer going to do things that we used to do and we're no longer going to be like those who are outside of the church. We're supposed to be distinct from the world. The word holiness or the word holy means set apart. It means unique. It means different. And as Christians, we're supposed to be different in this world. That's our whole purpose of being in this world. And then in verse 18, he says, They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. And so he says, don't expect the world to live like you. It's like the opposite of that, right? Don't expect them to, to think like you think or do the things that you do. Verse 19, he says, they've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And so when we look out into the world, he's telling us in advance, hey, look, you're going to look out into the world and it's going to get worse and worse and worse. People are going to get more and more into these things and they're going to live a life that is apart from the scriptures. And yet in verse 20 is the main verse where Paul says this. But that is not the way that you learned Christ. That's not the way that you learned Christ. And so what Paul is referring to is Paul was a church planter. He was a missionary. And so what Paul would do is he'd go to a city. He'd preach the gospel. He would uh, raise up churches. He would raise up leaders. And he would disciple them, and then he would move on once they were established onto the next city and plant more churches. He was spreading the gospel around the world that he was living in. But what would happen is he would proclaim the gospel, make disciples, raise people up, call them out of their sin into the newness of life in Christ, but then he would go away. And a lot of like the writing of the New Testament are letters that Paul writes back to the churches because he's heard that they've drifted away from holiness. They drifted away from the unique life that is following Jesus. And Paul says, this is not the way that you learned Christ, meaning you, you didn't learn Christ as in like, I, I love Jesus and he gives me hope and he gives me peace, but it doesn't change the things that I do in my life. And then he gets to the real concept here in verse 22 where he says this, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, meaning that there are, are desires that we have that we kind of want to act out, but maybe you've learned this when you act out on them, it doesn't go well for you. 
Proverbs chapter 4 says, there is a, a way that seems right to man, but in the end leads to death. You ever done something you thought it was going to go well, it did the opposite? That's what sin is. And so God's calling us out of those ways. But then in verse 24, he says, and to put on the new self. So take off the old self, your, your entire way of living before. Take that way off of you completely and put on the new self, which he says in verse 24, is created after the likeness of God and true righteousness. And there's that word, and holiness. That Jesus calls us to be totally new. That when you follow Jesus, what you should expect is a totally new life. And yet here's what we do. I think we're all tempted to do this, and we've all seen this, and we've all done this. Is there something in us that always kind of wants to dumb it down a little bit, you know? Come on, John, it's kind of radical. Like everything is different in your life. Like you're... As he says there, you're being renewed in the spirit of your minds. What that means is you're literally changing your opinion on things. I know that's crazy in the world that we live in, that you would change your opinion, right? And you would admit that maybe you weren't right. But what he's saying is when you meet Jesus, you will learn that I was wrong about things. There were ideas I used to have that I was wrong about. And, and for whatever reason why I thought that, I was wrong. And now I'm adopting the mind of Christ. We kind of want to dumb it down and, and make it easier for people to take and maybe less radical and, and less intense and, you know, just kind of just water it down. Don't, 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 don't call them to give up too much or to do too much because, like, then they're not going to want to do it. But I totally disagree with that. And the Bible does too. You see, the radical nature of following Jesus and giving up all of your old ways and becoming totally new, it's what makes Christianity compelling I was listening to a podcast the other day, and it was literally called, like, 10% Happier. <laughs> it was how to become 10% happier. And I respect the guy who was doing it because he didn't want to overpromise what he could deliver. But he was like, listen, I can't change your life. But if you do these things, I'm saying you will become 10% happier. And I'm like, how uncompelling is that? Like, that is, like, I will not give my life to be 10% happier. When I was growing up, I used to play Little League. Raise your hand, I played Little League back in the day. I love playing Little League Baseball. Um, I say I loved it. I was pretty into it. I wasn't like the most all into it, but I, I did like it. Played a lot of different Little Leagues around, um, around this area. And when I was probably like 10 or 11, one of my really good friends um, began playing in this, this league that was called a Select League. And maybe if you play Little League, you know what that is, where like normal Little Leagues, whenever you try out, like everybody has to play. So like the YMCA or something like that, which is a totally good thing, I think. Like everyone signs up and everybody gets assigned to a team and you play. And yet there are these leagues called select leagues for, for Little Leagues, like select baseball. And what it is, is you try out for one of these teams and you may or may not make it. Like you have to actually make the team. It's like high school. And so we're 10 or 11 and, and this league, you guys, it was intense. I don't know if it's still around, but it was called Baseball USA when I was growing up. And it was like the major leagues for little kids, what it was. And I'm not making any of this up. So, so we had a tryout. I barely made it. I was probably the worst guy on my team, but I made it. And, and, and I remember, um, I don't know how much it cost, but I remember my mom telling me, this thing is very, very expensive. And so you better take this seriously. And true story, I'm 11 years old. I'm on the select team. We had home and away uniforms, okay? We're 10. 
right? We play in the same field every single time, but we have home and away uniforms. Two times I showed up with the wrong uniform on and I literally could not play. This place was serious. We're 11. We have team jackets with our logo on the back. We were called the Bullets, okay? We had team jackets. We're 11 with, with our logo on the back, our custom-made logo. This is literally, we're 11 years old. We each had our own baseball equipment bag with our team logo on it. And not just our name, but our nickname was on the bag. I was John Whopper Wethington. I don't know why that was my nickname, but I was called the Whopper back in the day, okay? Maybe because of Wethington. So literally, I had my, my team equipment bag with our logo and my name and my nickname on it. And, and here's what took the cake. We're 11. We're playing Little League. Every kid on that team had his own personal baseball trainer. And I would go to this guy once or twice a week, and he would give me one-on-one -on -one lessons, and he would send me home with homework to practice during the week. We were 11. And yet looking back then, I never applied myself more. I was never more excited to play. There was something about the intensity that, yes, it was intense, but it drew me in because it was going to make me better. There was something about saying, hey, listen, we're taking this very, very seriously that made you want to be a part of it. And so often what, what we don't realize is that Jesus is calling us to give all of our life to him because it's a really big deal and he's really the true king. The only person who can call you to give all of yourself is the true king. And what Paul is saying here in this moment is that whenever you begin to follow Jesus, your life will begin to change. Jesus tells you to give up all of your old ways because he has new ways for you. And so in your own life or as you engage with people, don't, don't water it down. Everything in this world is watered down. Everything in this world is marketed to us in a slick and polished way because it makes us kind of want it more. It's kind of smoothing off the rough edges. And yet Jesus is saying, listen, I have a totally new and transformed life for you. Remember when I was, I was growing up, we, uh, I, was, uh, I liked playing music growing up, and, and I got a few of my friends together, and we were going to record some music together. And we set up at this recording studio with this guy who was like a pretty legit guy. And we were like young, we're broke, and we're poor, and we're, you know, about to record a, a demo, and we're wheeling in all of like our, you know, what we think is this amazing equipment, and it's a bunch of like garbage, you know. We roll our equipment in there, we think it sounds so good. And, and, we, and we, we roll our equipment in there, and, and the guy comes in before we're about to record, and he's like, is that your guitar? <laughs> is that your amp? Is that your drum set? In a really nice way, he basically said, yeah, just go load that back up in the car. Y'all can just play my stuff. It's going to sound a whole lot better. And I was kind of humbled, but he was true. His stuff was better than mine. And when you come to Jesus, what we have to realize is he has a much better life for you. And so often what we do with, with Jesus is, man, we're trying to bring our old ways into our faith. And it's like, oh, hey, Jesus, here's my political beliefs. You know, can, can you get on board with that? Oh, Jesus, here how, here's how I was raised or what I used to think. Can, can I find this in the Bible somewhere? 
And Jesus is telling us, I have a totally new life and a totally new self for you. Oftentimes people read the Bible, and we've all been there. You're reading the Bible and you're like, man, I'm kind of starting to feel bad about myself and like I gotta change, like I think something's wrong. It's like, no, 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 it's working. <laughs> no, that, that's good, it, it's working. You're changing, you're becoming new. He has new ways for you. And, and there's two kinds of people I think a lot of times. And maybe you're here and, and you're, maybe you're newer to the faith. And a lot of times what happens when you're newer to Christianity is, is you come in and, um, and you love the hope and you love the community and eventually it happens to all of us. There's gonna be something in your life as you're reading the Bible or listening to sermons or engaging in the community and, and you realize that there's something that maybe you used to be a part of or, or that you used to do and, and we're called to give that thing up. And it's this moment of decision where we have to decide, am I really going to trust Jesus? Am I really going to go all in? Or am I gonna leave it behind? And maybe you've been in church for a long time. That's probably a lot of you here right now. And here, here's the problem that we get into, because I've been a Christian for a long time at this point. A lot of times what happens in your life is you, maybe you first get saved and you're on fire for Jesus. You're so excited, you're growing, you're changing, you're like, you're like, like giving up your old ways and you're so excited. And then what happens is, it's like when you work out, like you, you actually finally see some gains and you get encouraged by your gains, but then it kind of demotivates you because I got some gains, you know. And what happens a lot of times in your faith is you had this amazing season where you were young or you were on fire and you were making changes and it was going amazing. And then you just kind of settle into how you are. And we start to get comfortable with our sin. And we forget that it's supposed to always be God making us brand new. And God's always calling us to radically follow him. When was the last time you were deeply repenting of something in your life? Maybe that's the reason why your faith is kind of dry. In Psalm 119, it says, righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. You have appointed your testimonies, which means your ways in righteousness and in all faithfulness. And so often the problem I think that happens is we forget that if Jesus is good enough to save you, he's good enough to lead you. If he will die for you, if he would love you to that extent, will not his ways for you be amazing in your life? Jesus didn't die for you to ruin your life. In John 10, he says, I've come to give you abundant life. And the reason why so often we're, we don't have momentum in our faith is, is because at every single turn, we're fighting Jesus. At every single turn, we're like, well, what about this? Or why can't we do this? Or maybe the Bible doesn't really say that. There's all these different things. And, and it's like, man, if you would just go all in and trust Jesus, he would totally transform your life. 
And so following Jesus is a radical journey of becoming a totally new person. And yet look at verse 25. Paul's going to continue here. And I, and I love this. And this is very relevant for our day. So get ready for this, man, because this is going to be so good for the moment that we are all in right now. Because it's interesting. Paul says you're going to become totally new, a different person. God's doing a new work in your life. And then he begins to practically work that out in our lives. And the first thing that he talks about is how we treat other people and our relationships with others. And what Jesus is going to show us right here, and what Paul's telling us in this moment, is that not only does true faith in Christ make you brand new and totally transformed, but true faith in Christ makes your relationships totally new. Look at verse 25. Paul goes on to the church. He says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. And so as, as Christians, he's calling us to, to be truthful and to not lie and to love one another and to realize that we are connected. He goes on in verse 26. Maybe this will be kind of relevant in your life today. He says this, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. The devil is always in division. And what you need to know is that in your relationships and in your marriage and in your church and in your place of work that, that Satan doesn't care what the division is about. He just wants division. He'll take whatever he can get. He doesn't care. He's not convictional. And so what Paul is, is saying here is um, do not sin in your anger. And it's funny. We... <laughs> We always love, well, Jesus got righteously angry, like, you know, like happened like once that we see, you know, overturn some tables and we forget we're not Jesus, you know. <laughs> Sometimes there's righteous anger, but I'm going to say 95% of the time our anger is not righteous, you know. Usually I'm, I'm, I'm advocating on myself, for myself and, and not for others, right. And when he says, do not let the sun go down in your anger, that's not like legalistic. It's like they say, this doesn't mean that like, you know, um, if Eskimos, like, who, like, live in, like, the dark for six months because the sun never comes up at the North Pole or whatever, like, if, if they don't, like, reconcile before the sun goes down, they got to, like, live in, like, agony for the next six months. It's not, like, literal. What it is saying in terms of before the sun goes down, it means, like, if you have a problem with somebody, address it as quick as possible. Reconcile with them. Talk to them about it. Verse 28 is interesting. He says, let the thief no longer steal but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that they may have something to share with anyone in need. And what's interesting here is the first century culture was, was kind of different than our culture. Like in that day, um, when you study like the context, like being a thief was actually like a normal job. Like, it, like, it, like I mean, it wasn't thought highly of, but it was just like the way that life was. And so a guy comes into church and the church is like, what do you do? I'm a thief. Oh, cool. I'm a teacher, you know, it's like, cool, you know, like it was kind of not like as bad as we see it today, you know, and so he says, but, but, but Christ changes you and, and that's not loving. And so basically what he says is don't let people in the body be moochers. That's what he says. He says, let them work with their hands so that they may have something to share with anyone in need. And so it turns moochers or consumers 
and the contributors. And then verse 29, he says this. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And going back to our our former point where we said, listen, we have to really deeply internalize this, that Jesus wants to make us totally new. And the reason why that's important is because if we take that seriously, we'll take this verse seriously. And the problem with kind of dumbing it down or saying, I think I'm good enough, is we read verses like this and, and we read in verse 29, let not that much corrupting talk come out of your mouth. At least that's how I tend to often read it, right? But Paul says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. See, in the Greek, that word no means no, like none, like zero. In the Hebrew, it means none, you know. In Latin, it means zippo, whatever. Like, it, 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 like no. And man, if we really took this seriously, if we really were all in, what if we became this? Because are you seeing it? Like when you dumb it down, you miss the wonderful thing that you could become. Like, like, like what if never one more time in your marriage there was ever a corrupting word ever spoken again? And, and what if that's what we were trying to become? Instead of saying, well, I'm getting a little bit better. but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. You know what's so cool? You know who everybody likes? The positive person. You know who everybody likes? The encouraging person. And God's calling us all to be that person. Have you ever read the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People? I highly recommend that book. And, and literally the whole point of the book, like, is just, like, be really nice to people, be genuine and nice and uplifting, and, like, they'll work a lot better with you. But it's, like, one of the best-selling books in American history because for some reason we need somebody to tell us that. Like, you know, it's like, hey, hey it, it, there's this one old chapter in the book, and it says this, don't rebuke somebody in public because it embarrasses them. Do it in private. And yet that's what the Bible tells us the entire time. House and I have this, um, this rule in our marriage. And when we first got married, I felt like God wanted me to do this. And I didn't know why, but I just knew clearly something we needed to do. We have this rule in our marriage that there is no rude joking. Like none. Because sometimes, um, maybe you're more holy than I am, like we... we we kind of uh, use joking to, like, um, tear them down. I, I don't want to blatantly say something mean, but I'm going to say, like, ha, you never do the dishes, ha, 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 you know, like, and we add the ha, ha, ha at the end of it and somehow, but, like, it becomes a way that we kind of jab at each other. And we would often do that in our, our relationship. And we made this, this rule that, like, we, we are literally not allowed to do that in our marriage because we decided early on the humor isn't worth the hurt. Or the suspicion of, like, did, did they really mean that when they said that? And it's been wonderful in our relationship. 
let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. I'm going to assume this applies to social media in our day as well. <laughs> I think posting is like the new modern mouth, you know, like that's the words that you say, you know. Verse 30 is an interesting one. He says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And I think what happens so often is, is we get comfortable with our sin, but we forget the Holy Spirit is not comfortable with our sin. The Holy Spirit isn't comfortable with our, our lustful thoughts. The Holy Spirit isn't comfortable with our gossip. The Holy Spirit isn't comfortable with these things. Because God is trying to make you totally new and somebody who stands out and shines in this world. When I first became a pastor, um, I was fortunate enough to go a large majority portion of my life without ever having to wear a suit. I'm not big on wearing suits. As you can probably tell, I'm not the most formal kind of dresser. I've never been. Partly because I live in Houston, it's really hot in Houston, okay? And so having me wear long black pants and a jacket, like it's just, it's so hot, right? And yet I became a pastor, and I'm 25 or 26, and I start having to do, like, weddings and uh, funerals. And honestly, I, I love doing weddings and funerals. Um, but the problem was I didn't have a suit. And so I was like, okay, I probably need to grow up and finally get a suit. And so I went and got this suit. And um, suits are expensive, by the way. I don't know if you know this. They're very expensive. That's the other reason why I don't wear suits. It's very expensive, you know. And so I go and get this suit, and I had this good friend of mine, and, and here's a great tip, and I'm gonna pass this along because it worked well for me, it'll work well for you too. If you're gonna buy a suit, if you're not gonna get it tailored, don't even bother getting the suit, okay? If you have a suit, it's gotta be tailored. Because I got this suit, and I was like, it looks kind of okay, and I went to this guy and he tailored it for me, and I was like, okay, I get the appeal. I feel like a million bucks right now, I, I get it. Like, I was like, maybe I should start wearing suits. I feel amazing. Like, like it makes you, like, like, I'm like, I, like my, my uh, confidence went like 2X in that moment. Like, okay, I, I get it, right? This, it does something to you, right? And so the day came, and I got this suit, and I'm feeling really good about it, and I'm doing this wedding for some friends of mine, and I'm excited. And we get out there, and I'll be honest, I'm actually really excited to, like, wear this, like, really nice tailored suit for, like, a million bucks, trying to be a grown-up now, and I'm excited, right? And I get out there, and in the excitement of, of the suit, and of wearing the suit, I get there, and I, I realize um, it's 45 minutes for the wedding. I'm getting dressed. I forgot my socks. I totally forgot my socks. And one of the groomsmen, who was a very sweaty fella, told me, he's like, well, if you have to, you can wear these, like, black, like, low-cut socks. It's better than nothing, you know. And they were moist, and it was in summer, and it was disgusting, and I was in trouble, Okay got this amazing suit and no socks. And I couldn't go run to the store because we're out in the middle of nowhere at some barn because that's where white girls like to get married nowadays, I guess. And so I have no options and I've got a tailored suit and I've got no socks, okay, so I'm in trouble. And thankfully, there was another groomsman who was super on top of it. I brought zero pairs of black socks, but he's a responsible gentleman, so he brought two pairs of black socks and he hooked me up, so I was okay. But can you imagine if I'd walked out there for a wedding Guys, wedding's a lot of pressure. It's like the biggest moment of their life, and you're in front of everybody. It is so much pressure. And can you imagine I walk out there with a nice tailored suit, and I got no socks on? <laughs> or, or I got this nice suit on, I got everything on, I got socks, but I got no shoes. It, it, it ruins the whole thing, right? Because I got this nice suit, but all people are thinking is, where is his shoes? 
Or you got shoes and socks, but you ain't got no pants. That's weird, right? Or you got a jacket, but no undershirt. You get the point. Every single thing is important. And the same is true in your life. And, and that's what he's telling us here. It's not just part of your life, but God is giving you a totally brand new life. And let's read these last two verses. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Once again, let all. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Verse 32, be kind to one another. Just be kind. Tenderhearted. Do, do you notice the contrast? Earlier he said that the Gentiles were hard-hearted. And here he says that we are to be tenderhearted. Forgiving one another, and I love this, the best part he says, as God in Christ forgave you. We're looking out into the world and the culture and we're often so shocked that people are unforgiving or we're so shocked that there's like a cancel culture, but, but we shouldn't be shocked by that. Because if you've not been forgiven, you can't forgive. And if you still feel under the condemnation and the weight of your own sin, that it will be your natural response to condemn others and their sin. And in this crazy moment that we are in, because Christ has forgiven us, think about this, church. We don't have to condemn because we can forgive. When Christ died for you, and when he saved you, you can now forgive. That somebody can wrong you, and you have the power in Christ to love them in forgiveness and to not let it stick to you because you can forgive. Because you are totally new. And because you are not saved because other people treat you well, you are saved because of what Christ has done and he's already done it. And the same way that Christ makes us totally new, church, I wanna remind you today that Jesus wants you to have incredible relationship so that you can be a light in the world. And so as we draw to a close today, maybe there's a relationship in your life and you need a reset. Maybe it's your marriage in this crazy season, you need a reset. Maybe, maybe this whole election just got you all out of sorts and you need a reset. And maybe today you need to be reminded that Christ is making you totally new, that any way in which you have fallen short, he wants to make you new again. One of my favorite stories in all the Bible, I talk about a lot, is in John chapter 8. And it's the woman who gets caught in adultery. It's this powerful moment. 
And in the story, what we see is there's this woman that these like Pharisees and Sadducees, these religious leaders who are very hypocritical, they somehow, probably because they're creepers, they, they catch a woman in the act of adultery. And they, they take her out, they catch her, she's probably wearing nothing. And they bring this woman before Jesus and they, they throw her in front of Jesus. And what they're wanting him to do in this moment is they're wanting him to prove that he is God by killing her, by stoning her. Because they said, listen, this woman has done this sinful, evil act. And if you're God, in the law, it says that, that people who do that deserve death. And so if, if you're really God, Jesus, if you're really God like you claim you are, then, then what that means is that you will stone her. You will prove that you were God by stoning her. But Jesus has a much better plan. He says, I'm going to prove I'm God, not by stoning her, but by forgiving her. Because you're right. God has the right to stone us for our sin. He's God, and, and we've sinned, and we've made mistakes, and he gave us a life, and we've belittled him. He has every right to do that. But he's God. And so what that also means is that he also has the right to forgive. And in this moment, he says the famous line, he says, let, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And everybody in the crowd knows that they've made mistakes too. So everybody drops their stone, everybody walks away. And then Jesus says to this woman lying bare in front of him, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. And from now on, go and sin no See, in that moment, Jesus forgives her. But he forgives her to make her new. And I just want to awaken something in you that says, I, I want to be like Jesus in every way. And, and maybe in the chambers of your heart where you've become okay with sin, You've become okay with lust, you've become okay with gossip, or you've become okay with greed, or, or, or you've been okay with just constantly living in fear when Jesus says, do not fear, trust me. You see, the crowds were wanting to take this woman's life, and yet Jesus was wanting to give her life. when we put off the old self and when we put on the new self, when we become passionate about becoming totally new and leaving everything behind, he's not taking your life. He is giving you life. So here in a moment, I'm going to close us in a prayer. And I want to give you a reset because this has been a crazy year. 
and probably what 2020 does is it has exposed some things inside of you. It's exposed some things in your marriage. It's exposed some things in your heart. Maybe you don't trust God as much as you thought. Like it was easy to trust him when it was good, but now all of a sudden you're freaking out all the time and God's like, listen, your life isn't built on me. Come build your life on me. Maybe you're realizing, you know, maybe I, I, I do look down on people that are different than me. Maybe you're looking at your life and you're like, man, maybe I don't know where I'm going in life. Maybe I have become too comfortable with my sin. I want to give you a chance to lay it down and to reset and to leave this place today with a passionate pursuit that I want to be totally new in Jesus. And I am not content with who I am. And I am not content with what God has already done. He has come to make me totally new. I want amazing relationships. I want to be growing in holiness. I want to be different than the world around me because he didn't stone me. He forgave me and he told me to go and sin no more. And so why would I want to live my life in the sin that he freed me of? And so everybody in the world right now, man, they're, they're online and they're, they're looking for someone to blame and they're looking for someone to tear down and they're looking for all the bad people and they're finding the people caught in adultery and they're throwing them in front of Jesus and yet we're the church and we're gonna be in this room right now owning our own sin because we're being made new. That Jesus is good enough to save you. He's good enough to lead you in every single area of your life, if he died for you, he will lead you to life. So right now, would you bow your heads with me? And I wanna give you a moment before I pray, maybe 30 seconds, to do business with God. And listen, if maybe this year or this week, you've, you've realized, man, you still got some of the old self clinging on, I wanna give you a chance to like, clearly lay that down to God today, to clearly repent and say, Jesus, I want to become new. Whatever that is for you, lay it down to Jesus right now where you're at. And I'm going to pray for us. Wonderful Jesus, you have called us to be a light in the world. And God, we're sorry for the ways in which we've fallen short of that. Jesus, we're sorry for the gossip. We are sorry for all the ways in which you've called us to build people up and we've torn them down. God, we're sorry that we've complained about politics way more than we've prayed for the people who are involved in politics. God, we are sorry that that we haven't served our spouses the way that you want us to, and, and we've just been advocating for our own wants and our own needs. 
and you washed our feet. And so, God, we want to serve. Father, we're sorry for the ways this year that we haven't trusted you, where we've lived in fear. We're sorry for the ways that we've put our hope in politics. God, we're sorry for the way in which we've thought suspiciously of people that look different than us or think differently than us. And yet, God, we are excited for what you're making us. God, our biggest failures, if we will give them to you, can become our greatest stories. And so, Jesus, we come before you today and we just lay it all at your feet. God, help us to build our life fully on you and become totally new and to run as fast as we can after you and your ways in this life, leaving everything behind, leaving the ways of the world behind, leaving our former ways behind because you are calling us to become totally brand new. We love you, Jesus. We repent and we look forward to the future that is ahead where you are making all things new beginning with us, Jesus. Make us holy. We pray all these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.